0: Verse 12, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought those who were ill into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. "We We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men, You will only find yourself fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Mike
1: Rater was a missionary in Pakistan. He married the daughter of Pakistani missionaries. Uh, Pakistan is a majority Muslim country, and Mike tells how his wife's parents worked faithfully in Pakistan, I think it was 30, 40 years And they didn't see, through their ministry, a single person come to know Jesus. Uh, Jenny, my wife, and I were in Pakistan for 14 years. Uh, During those years, through my own ministry, there was one Hindu baptised and one expat from England. Uh, When we returned to Australia... And uh, I was at uh, St. John's, West Brunswick, just up the road. Uh, I'd only been there a couple of months and a guy from Iran walked in to church. He wanted to know about Jesus. Uh, He was baptised the following year. And then after that, uh, an Iranian lady came to our English class. Uh, She was baptised and after that, her son. And then um, after that... Another guy from Iran and his wife, uh, his, his girlfriend, um, they, they couldn't even find the front door of the church. Someone found them in the car park, brought them in after church, and, uh, and they were baptised as well later on. There was also a Buddhist woman from Thailand and, um, and an Aussie woman. Again, they just kind of knocked on the door, wanted to learn about Jesus during the week. Uh, Those all happened seven baptisms over uh, five and a half years. And um, all I did is answer their questions about Jesus. Uh, The estates ministry has been going for, uh, I think, close to 40 years now. I can't tell you how many people have come to know Jesus over that time. I'm guessing it's a small number. Uh, Our congregation today is quite small. We have four or five in our congregation who actually live on the estates. I long uh, to see revival there for us to grow. Uh, we did see some Iranians come to know Jesus uh, a few years ago and, um, and quite a few baptisms um, from, from them before my time. Uh, Iranians have been walking into churches all over Melbourne, all over Australia, and I hear all around the world wanting to know Jesus. What's happened in their country has sparked a great interest in Jesus and, um, and turning away from uh, their, um, the, the, the religion of their country, Islam. Uh, Horn of Africa refugees uh, live on the estates. They've been there for 20 or 30 years Uh, When I've asked around, I've only heard in that 20 or 30 years of one Christian that we've come into contact with from Somalia. Uh, There are others from Ethiopia and some of the other countries that have more Christians in them. Uh, We pray for our global mission partners, John and Deb. Uh, Another email came from them this morning, actually, which I haven't had a chance to read, but nearly every email from them uh, in the Middle East Uh, is full of news of baptisms, hundreds of baptisms and and hundreds of small groups. Uh, Very exciting ministry there. Well, as we come to Acts, we're reading about the incredible, the birth and the growth of the early church in Acts. In here in chapter 5, when we get another, yet another report on uh, the growth and the number of believers, uh, it's like they've stopped counting because we're not given a number this time. The last one was 5,000. I think that was just men in chapter 4, I think. Uh, and, and we also hear of crowds coming from the surrounding villages into Jerusalem. The, the gospel is going out beyond Jerusalem uh, to the surrounding towns. Well... Wouldn't we love to see revival here? Here in Melbourne, here in Australia, uh, here in in Parkville. Wouldn't we love to see hundreds and thousands of people come to know Jesus? uh, Through our ministry and through the ministry of churches in Melbourne. In 1959, uh, my, my parents... I uh, went to the MCG to hear Billy Graham. Uh, it's still the, the largest crowd ever, over uh, 130,000. Some say 140, 145,000. Um, when they were travelling to the MCG on the trains, uh, people were singing hymns, um, not, the, not the footy songs. And, and um, both of my parents... Uh, they went forward and, and they became Christians uh, through, through that ministry. Could, could revival come to Melbourne again as it did then? Well, in these verses in Acts chapter 5, we see God working out his plan. The plan that was described in chapter 1, the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And most encouragingly, we find that this happens. Um, we, We see it doesn't always happen as we expect, but it happens as God wants it to because it's God's plan. And we find in this chapter, you can't stop God's plan. God will do what he wants. He will grow his church. And let's pray that he will do that with us. So first we're going to see the power of God's kingdom uh, as it breaks out through miraculous signs and wonders in verses 12 to 16. Then in the rest of the passage, we see the inevitable response of persecution whenever God is working. Uh, That seems to happen. But alongside that persecution, we then see the continuing perseverance and progress of God's kingdom purposes, the continual growth. Uh, you might have noticed there are lots of P's to help us remember. The power of God's kingdom, persecution, and then perseverance and progress of God's plan. God's purpose and plan. Well, let's begin from verse 12. Uh, the, um, the presence of the kingdom bursting out in power through signs and wonders. Uh, we find now that it's no longer just Peter doing a healing or Peter and John, but it's, all, it's the apostles performing miraculous signs and wonders. Uh, these signs, they show God's incredible power uh, bursting onto the scene. They show God is in control of this world. God can manipulate this world. God made this world. God made our bodies and so he can heal them. They show that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, sin and death are being reversed, have been defeated. The sick are healed and made whole. The work of Satan is being pushed back and evil spirits are cast out. More and more men and women are turning back to God, believing in him as he is calling them to himself. And not only from Jerusalem... As I said, the kingdom is expanding beyond Jerusalem. They come from the surrounding towns, verse 16. And it says, all of them are healed. The sign, the miraculous signs, are God flexing his muscles. His kingdom is advancing. His plans are being fulfilled. The kingdom is not yet here in full. These things don't happen all the time, not even in Acts, but we get glimpses of God's kingdom as it bursts out at different times and places and at this very special time of the birth of the church. As God's kingdom advances towards Rome and then beyond to the ends of the earth and eventually uh, to Australia. Well, persecution... Opposition to the plans and the progress of the kingdom. This isn't the first opposition we've come across, if you've been following this Acts series, but it seems like it's getting more intense. Here the apostles are flogged for no good reason. No charges have stuck against them. Just around the corner in the next few chapters, coming up in the next couple of weeks, um, here's a spoiler alert, uh, the death of the first martyr stephen happens that's where we're headed as the kingdom grows so does the intensity of the persecution the kingdom is not fully here there is opposition there are still many battles to be won we might think that when god's kingdom becomes visible in such an obvious way the signs and miracles and so many people believing undeniable evidence we I would think, well, why doesn't everyone believe? You can see what God's doing. might think, if I was there, you know, if my friends were there, they'd believe. The reactions that we see in chapter 5, they range from uh, greed, as we saw last week with Ananias and Sapphira, to great fear at their death, to high regard for the new community, to people uh, believing and coming for healing from the surrounding towns, but then we get to the religious leaders. They're the ones you think should be supporting. And we get jealousy. They're filled with jealousy. Verse 17. They arrest the apostles. not Now longer, not just Peter and John. They put them in jail. By the time we get to verse 33, the religious leaders are furious. They want to put the apostles, possibly all of them, to death. That's where the persecution has intensified too. Instead, after being calmed down, being persuaded by a wise member of their own council, they decide, well, we'll just flog them <laughs> for no reason at all. We might today be surprised from time to time by the anger that we see coming from some people towards Christians towards us towards God towards the church sometimes it's for good reasons when Christians do foolish and evil things but many times it's just opposition to God and his people and here we see even in those very first early days the, the you know the the perfect days we might think of the church the persecution was strong then, so why should it be any different now? Sometimes it comes from places we might least expect it, sometimes from family and friends. We might be surprised, but it's not unusual is what we learn. If we dare to stand up for God and speak up. Well, the perseverance of the kingdom, it cannot be overthrown it cannot be stopped God overpowers he embarrasses he makes fun of his enemies those who try to stop the advance of the kingdom it's like um I once went uh to a wave pool uh with some friends and they had this little boy he was about this tall and he was standing as the waves were coming at him and as the waves were coming he was punching them you know and of course a wave would just push him over you know it's like how, how can we stand against the progress and power of God? It's, it's that, that kind of useless. Um, so we've, we've been back and forward. First, the display of God's power, the miraculous signs, then the persecution. Um, it's happened in the previous chapters. It will continue to happen. It happens today often as God's kingdom advances, um, as great things begin to happen often often hard things, persecution um, problems begin to happen. And of course, um, but the persecution is not the final answer. Um, God, through the persecution, purifies his people, prepares them, protects them, and eventually saves them. And that's, of course, where the Bible ends, isn't it? Where history will end in Revelation. Persecution is never the last word. It's actually an opportunity for God to show His power, for Him to strengthen us, like a muscle under tension. Um, God often grows us through the hard times. Now, in um, in this section from, uh, I've lost the verse number. Um, there, there are two um, there are two stories that we have some. Extra detail. So the first is um, when they're put in prison and released, and the second is the story of uh, Gamaliel. So the first, from 17 verse 17 to 24, um, is the gaoling and the release of the apostles, and then the speech of Gamaliel from verse 33 to 39. And both of these, in different ways, are highlighting God intervening, protecting His people, persevering the kingdom, uh, not the advance of the kingdom, not being stopped. In verse 23, God sends an angel to rescue the apostles. And he does it in such a way that the next day, you know, they go looking for them. And there are the guards standing outside the jail. The, 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 the doors are locked, but there's no one inside. It's kind of a bit like a joke. God does it with flair. It's like he's, he's having a joke with them or actually making a joke out of them. You dare to stand against me? Look what I can do. If they haven't already learned from what's already been happening in Acts, from this previous story, Ananias and Sapphira, how are they not scared of God? They think they're in charge, but God snatches the prisoners from under their very nose. They haven't got any idea where they've gone. I think we're meant to laugh at their red faces. Fortunately for the leaders... Uh, when they go to get um, the apostles, they come back voluntarily. Because if they didn't, it tells us they were, the leaders were powerless because they feared the crowds would have stoned them. The apostles were so popular. But the apostles come back voluntarily. In the next story, uh, from verse 33... We see um, about Gamaliel, God being a little bit more reserved in how he protects his apostles, a different way. It's as if God has a man on the inside, someone planted to disrupt their counsel, their proceedings, to change the opinion of the court. And this man, is, it tells us in verse 34, is honoured by all the people. He's a Pharisee, the others are Sadducees, they don't believe in a resurrection. That's been a problem with the apostles preaching the resurrection. Here is Gamaliel, honoured a Pharisee, and he's trying to speak some sense into them. Uh, it's, um, It's again, perhaps God having a laugh at them, playing on their own party politics. And we see Paul doing that also a little bit later in Acts, and, uh, and even the presence of Gamaliel pointing us forward to the Apostle Paul because uh, Paul was a disciple of Gamaliel. The most powerful thing about uh, this, about Gamaliel's words, are um, from verse 38. He says, If their purpose, the Apostles, is of human origin, it will fail. But If it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God, punching the wave, as it were. As if they hadn't already had enough evidence that these apostles uh, were from God. And even, even the examples that Gamaliel cites to them. You know, he talks about this guy, Thutis, who had 400 followers. The, the, the disciples, are, we're already up to 5,000, and that's probably just the men. These guys, the, the, the advance of God's kingdom is far more than the examples that they've already cited. They also talked about how after these, these two people uh, were killed or died, their followers scattered. Do you know what happens when the followers of Jesus scatter? They take the gospel with them and it spreads. That's how it got to around the, the whole world. The same happened in Pakistan as, um, as the Christians scattered in the early days. And this is, a, the scattering is about to happen through the death of Stephen, the massive wave of persecution that hits them, and then the scattering. And then the the gospel starts to go, Samaria and to the ends of the earth, according to God's purpose and kingdom plan. Well, the last thing to notice, uh, in contrast to the weakness and defeat of God's opposition, is the boldness of the apostles. It, It just stands out so clearly. In verse 29, we must obey God rather than people. They said a similar thing in chapter 4, didn't they? They repeatedly disobey the commands to be quiet and not to speak in the name of Jesus. And instead, they listen and obey God through the voice of the angel. As they're released, the angel tells them to go and immediately they go to the temple, the centre of where all the religious leaders work and there they preach Jesus. Their prayer for boldness... In chapter four, that mighty prayer, that that, let me encourage all of us to pray, um, is being answered in such an obvious way. They feel honoured as they are dishonoured. They know God's grace in the midst of their disgrace. They rejoice that they're counted worthy of suffering disgrace. They rejoice. It's it's like a privilege. We get to suffer. We get to be disgraced. And of course, it finishes with, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They never stopped. God's kingdom perseveres even if it can't be stopped. Well, a few words for us as we think about uh, what it means for us. Uh, my first question is, is to ask, what if these stories that we've just read, what if they really happened? What if they're true? Now, I think if I asked people to put your hand up, if you think it's real, we'd all say, yes, yes, of course I believe it, it's, it's real. What if, they, if the healings The healing shadow of Peter, the escape from jail, the rejoicing at flogging and disgrace, the unceasing proclamation of the good news. If we could go back in a time machine 2,000 years in the temple of Jerusalem, would we watch those events unfold? Did they really happen? What does it mean if it's true uh, St Jude's is just about to send out uh, another global mission partner. Uh, her name is Anna, being sent out by our uh, Unichurch and um, and Carlton Four PM congregation. So you you won't see her here, um, but um, we're we're about to. She goes in about a month. Anna tells me that people have been coming up to her. She's a, a young single woman, and um, and they've been saying. Um, how brave they think she is, so young and off she's going to give her life to serve God on the mission field. I'll come back to that. In another country, one of the um, global mission partners supported um, by Parkville, I think um, Suzanne, um, there was a house that was, there was a house invasion. There was a single woman living in that house uh, that happened earlier this year. There was a hold-up with a gun or a knife. And just before that, uh, Suzanne had been living in that same house. It could have been her. Um, These things are much scarier in other countries than uh, they are here, where we've got a a relatively competent and um, and non-corrupt police force. Uh, Chris and Grace. um, Good to have you here, Chris. um, About to... Um, leave for their—it's fourth term, isn't it? If I got that right. Yeah. So that's a term is three years. Okay. They've been here, um, uh, overseas for uh, nearly ten years, going back for another three. God is doing amazing work. If you haven't already heard, Chris, um, do ask him about what God is doing there. When people say to Anna, "How brave you are! You're a special person," uh, she says, "No." Uh, I'm I'm a normal person, just like you. I'm trying to obey God one step at a time, doing what I think God wants me to do. You can do that too. If that's true, what Anna says, that means any one of you, if she's just like us, any one of you or me could also answer God's call if he called us to serve him overseas as a missionary. When, um, when Jenny and I were missionaries in Pakistan, uh, we also felt that people would put us on a pedestal. They would make heroes of us. Um, and there is, a, there is a place for honouring people who, who serve God. I understand that uh, in, and, and who serve God in, in special ways. But sometimes it feels like when we do that, we make heroes of them, then that automatically sets us apart. If they're heroes and I'm not... Then I'm let off the hook, aren't I? I don't have to. But if I'm a normal person, just like them, that's that's a bit threatening, isn't it? Maybe God might call me, like He called them. Maybe He might. Let's let's pray that He does. Call some from here uh, to go and serve Him overseas as missionaries. If these stories are real in Acts five, and they were normal people, and we've already seen their failures, Peter's denying of Jesus. If they were real, if, they, if, if they're real stories, they're just like us, then God can use people just like us for his kingdom plans. God can do the same things today as he did back then. Do we believe that? It's actually quite threatening and difficult and costly, as it were, to believe that God, that that was real, and maybe God could do it again well the other thing that I want us to think about is and this is both a a relief and a struggle and you've heard me say it lots of times already this is God's plan God's kingdom God's purposes being worked out what a relief isn't it it's because God's doing it it can also be a struggle because well if God's doing it if it's his plan then God's not necessarily going to do my plan I have to do his plan and that's not it's the best for us but we don't always feel like it's much fun God is clearly at work in this passage through the miracles it's very clear God doing it not Peter or the Apostles through bringing, bringing people in from the nearby towns, starting to take the gospel beyond Jerusalem. God releases them from jail through the angel. God sends them to preach again. God caused Jerusalem to be filled with this teaching. Of course, the apostles did it, but it was through the power of the Holy Spirit. God raised Jesus from the dead, exalted him to his right hand. God is the one who gives repentance and forgiveness of sins. Isn't that a relief that it's up to God and not up to us? We'll come back to our role in a moment. It was God who placed Gamaliel right there in the council so that the apostles could be released. God who emboldened them to rejoice in suffering and to continue to preach after the flogging. It is God who uses us, not us who use God. Can you see that? We're here to do God's work. He's not here to do our work. Acts isn't like a manual of you do this 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 and this and then God will automatically produce growth no acts is showing us how god fulfills his plans and purposes in his way at different times god uses different means at different times he works in different ways the scattering here was through persecution in pakistan that the the church began through Poor people, untouchable people, as they scattered because they were looking for work, employment. And so they went from the one area all over the country and took the gospel with them. God uses different, he'll work differently with us here in Australia, won't he? Sometimes God releases people from prison. Sometimes he does it miraculously and the guards don't even know that the people are gone. It didn't depend on how much faith the apostles had. It depends on the plan of God. Later, Paul was also released from prison once, and again with an angel, after singing hymns at night with Silas. But then another time he was in prison for three years. In the very next chapter, Stephen is martyred. These guys are saved. They just get flogged. Stephen is martyred. Eventually all of them are martyred. We can't predict or command or manipulate God. He works in his own ways according to his own plans and his own schedule. Sometimes thousands of people become to know Jesus. Sometimes the MCG is full. Sometimes it's slow, hard work over over many years. Like the in-laws of my creator. Like the work on the estates. Like our time. In Pakistan, the number of converts and how he does it is up to God. There are uh, three countries, lots of countries where Christians are persecuted. The top three are North Korea, Afghanistan, and Somalia. I've recently heard that the church is growing in Afghanistan. Someone told me it was one of the fastest growing churches in the world i don 't know if that 's true or not isn 't that incredible Pakistan uh, Afghanistan is so hard there are things are difficult for Christians in Pakistan. If you um, get any news from Nathan or any other people um, uh, in India, uh, you will hear um, of the persecution of Christians there at the moment. During our time in the south of Pakistan, uh, a small program was started, 15 evangelists, and they were sent out to three villages each. That's actually quite a lot, isn't it? Forty-five, if you do your maths. That program began around 20 years ago I think they've got more than 60 evangelists now, right? 180 villages. Every month we're hearing baptisms there in the south of Pakistan among the Hindus, um, the low-caste Hindus. Well, how do we respond to all of this? You see, because it's, it's God's work, it's a good idea to pray, don't you think? Ask God. To achieve his purposes. And God actually works with our prayers. We can ask him to do things. And he may well do them. We proclaim the message. That's what we repeatedly hear about. And we repeatedly hear what the message they proclaimed is. We know what the message is. In verse 30. We hear about, it's the God of our ancestors, the God of the Old Testament, the God who created the world. It's the same plan that he's had since Abraham all the way along and David. It includes the death and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 31, exalted to the right hand of God as prince and saviour, now ruling. We don't always talk about that in our evangelism, do we? Jesus exalted and now ruling, bringing repentance and forgiveness. The Holy Spirit, verse 32, given to God's people as we believe, as we obey. And so, as we finish, the challenge is, as with the apostles, under the power of the Holy Spirit, we proclaim with boldness, the boldness that God's Spirit gives us, knowing that it's God's work. It's God's plan, it's God's purpose, and he will achieve his plans in and through us. Let's pray and ask him to do that now. Lord God, we thank you for these stories, both challenging and encouraging, challenging our own comfort, but showing what is possible with you. Give us confidence that your plans are unstoppable, that you will work with and through us. And please do that. Please grow your church, this congregation, here at Parkville. Please, Lord, we pray for revival in Melbourne, in Australia, for revival among our Indigenous people. Please, Lord, may we see our friends and family, our work colleagues, come to know Jesus. Please send more people overseas to serve you as missionaries. Please grow our state's congregation. Please bring Somali people to come to know Jesus. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.